Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Thank you, Brother Lloyd, and we missed these folks. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honoring the word of the Lord as, as we ask uh, Brother Gusto, who's doing a great job, and Brother Terry Pryor's absence. Ask him to put on the screen 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse number 19. If you're afraid of the storm, the thunder, the lightning, whatever, just make your way to the front right now. I will lay hands on you, and when you go back to your seat, you will not be afraid. After we pray, fears of the enemy. Uh, I really have um, never been afraid of storms. The Lord delivered me from that fear before it ever got going. But I sympathize with people who do face that challenge. God really does want to deliver you from that if that's a part of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Now, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says here, and I want you to notice how he says it. Many times when you read a book, and that includes the Bible, you've just got print on a page. Uh, you are without several clues and uh, indicators that you have when you hear someone speak in person. There are things missing when you, all you have is print on a page. Uh, the context sometimes is missing. The emotion with which the speaker is saying what he is saying is missing most of the time. But sometimes you can accurately read between the lines, and that includes the Bible, and get a, a little bit more of an understanding where the speaker is coming from. And I believe we can have a hint like that. And what Paul is saying here, let's go back to the beginning of the verse. He says, what? Question mark. Know ye not? In other words, he's not just saying, if he were to say this, we could hear him talk with our ear out loud. He's not just saying, um, do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? I don't believe he would say it like that. I believe he's saying it like, uh, duh. What? Are you kidding me? Don't you know? This is how we would say it. Today, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? I really believe that's the way he's portraying it, if he were here. Next verse, verse 20. He says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Give God glory in whatever you do and say and think in every way possible, both in your body and in your spirit, both of which are God's. In other words, Paul is saying here, uh, it does matter what's on the outside of your vessel. And I'm not going to talk about holiness standards here today. That's far from what I'm going to bring to you. But I just want you to understand that the devil has tried to convince some people, even apostolics, that um, it's not important what goes on on the outside as long as the inside is right. If the inside is truly right, the outside will be right too. And again, I'm not just talking about the way we dress, but I'm talking about our actions, our deeds, where we go, 
how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. I want to talk to you from this thought, though, today, bought with a price, bought with a price. And the Lord will bless his word and bless you as you are seated. Thank you for standing. Um, please indulge me for just a moment as I get personal, and uh, I'll get on that and out of that very shortly. But I want to say something today. Pastors carry burdens that nobody else has to carry. And I appreciate those of you that believe that and understand that and uh, put up with your pastor because you know that's the truth. Um, I've accepted that, and I'm not saying that to gain your sympathy. I'm saying it so that you'll better understand where I'm coming from in this pulpit today. I have not designed what I'm going to say to you to step on anybody's toes or try to make you feel guilty. Uh, that's not my objective, and I really don't think that will happen. But I am asking God to open the door to your heart for you to think about your personal relationship with him. Um, I've been in the ministry for many years, been around the church before I was called to preach, and uh, you can never really realize what it means to be in a pastor's shoes uh, completely unless you live in a pastor's home, perhaps. Uh, events take place, words are said that transpire in the course of time passing by, things that I wish didn't happen or things that don't happen that are supposed to. And people can disappoint sometimes by not coming through when you think they should come through with something. Uh, I believe I know a little bit about what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote to the Corinthian church and said, uh, talked about all the things that he had been through. He'd been shipwrecked several times. He wrote to uh, the church at Corinth. He was in perils of robbers, perils of his own countrymen, hunger, nakedness, cold. He went through all of that. And then he topped that off by saying, besides those things that are without, that he had just listed, the shipwrecks, etc., and hunger and cold. Besides those things, there is that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the church or churches, and I thank God that I only pastor one church. I don't think I could handle more than just one. But uh, it's supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to carry a burden for this church. I'm supposed to have a burden for you individually, for your soul. Uh, and, and let me say this, you've all got burdens that you carry that I don't have to bear. And some of you have burdens that you have to carry that I know nothing about and that I know nothing about how hard it is for you to carry those burdens. That's why I try as much as possible to pray for all of you as often as possible. So we're in this together. We all have burdens to bear. We have things that come at us in this life that we would not rather have to face. Uh, but God takes us through it all, if we will allow him to, with victory. 
Uh, and, and I want to live in victory, don't you? But I, I come to you today with a, a burden on my heart. It's a, it's a burden that every pastor should carry, at least to some degree. And the, the brunt of that burden is this. I, I have to admit to you today, I am not satisfied. And by that I mean this. I want more of God. I have embarked on a personal quest over the last months and, and few years, a, a quest, a journey in which I am seeking for more of God in my life than I've ever had before. I, I want to know him. Paul made that statement. He said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be filled with him more than I, I have ever had that desire. In all of my over 50 years of walking in a personal relationship with him, and I want more of him for this church. If you have any spiritual wits about you at all, you've picked up on that fact. That I want God, I want more of him flowing through this church. I want more of him to show up every time we show up for anything, a prayer meeting, a church service, a, a fellowship event, whatever it may be, whatever uh, we come together for, I want more of God in it. I want more of his touch, his flowing, his moving, his power, his grace to fill this place, to fill our lives, and to touch those who have yet to come to know the Lord and all that he can do for them. I want him to set captives free more than I've ever wanted it to happen. I want God to deliver folks from the bondage of sin more than ever before in the history of this church and this city. I want that. I want revival. But ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you what most of you already know. Revival only comes at a price. That's the truth. I can't get around it. You can't. No person, no individual, no church can get around the fact that revival comes at a cost. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. And our flesh doesn't like that. Our flesh doesn't like to have to pay things to get things from the Lord. But the fact of the matter is that's the only way we're going to receive some things from God. And revival is one of them. Sometimes I wonder about our desire level for revival, for the things of God, for an increase in what God does in our midst. Sometimes I question my desire I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes I question your desire. Notice I said I question my desire level first. Uh, the desire to pay the price for revival. I believe that God's going to have to help us understand a basic premise, a, a very basic 
fact of spiritual life, a fact that some of us have known and somehow perhaps have forgotten it, or at least we've let it slide back in the recesses of our mind and our heart as we've gotten comfortable in our walk with God to the point that we don't really have the desire for more. We don't really have the desire like we ought to for growth, for spiritual maturing, both as an individual and as a church. And uh, we've got to understand that sometimes we let other things crowd it out and push that desire away or put it on the back burner or squash it somewhat. But the fact is this, ladies and gentlemen, this is my sermon today. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price, and we belong to somebody else. We belong to a God who owns us. Amen. And, and so many times I fear that we like to play Indian giver with what God has given us. How many remember as a child playing the game uh, or, or being called, being accused by somebody of being an Indian giver? I don't know the origin of the statement, uh, and I'm not meaning to insult. I sure don't mean to insult any Indians this afternoon by my remarks. But when I was a kid, an Indian giver was somebody who gave you something and then for whatever reason decided they wanted to take it back from you. Uh, now, sometimes it was in fun and jest, but sometimes they were quite serious, and the situation could sometimes get uh, pretty heated or testy, especially if we wanted to keep what was given to us. I, I, I told a lie to this church many years ago when uh, my family and I first came and said yes to being your pastor. Um, it was at a business meeting. I, I think it was the very first one. I'm not positive about that. But uh, maybe the word lie isn't quite right. Well, I'm sure it's not. Uh, perhaps I should say I made a mistake in what I said because I didn't know I wasn't telling the truth. So I wasn't lying or misrepresenting the truth on purpose. I did it innocently. I didn't realize that at the time what I was saying really wasn't true. Uh, at some point in the business meeting, I, I made this statement. I said, this is your church. We were discussing some issue of business. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. But I said, this is your church. I told the people there that night, we'll do what you want to do. I was wrong. We may have ended up doing what the congregation wanted to do in whatever the issue was that night, but I wasn't telling the truth when I told those people, this is your church. Now, this isn't running the aisle, shouting, dancing type preaching, but it's what God told me to bring to our attention this afternoon. You can say, this is my church, uh, in the sense of belonging, but not in the sense of possession. In other words, you can, you can say, this is my church uh, by virtue of the fact that I belong to it. It's where I'm a member. It's where I attend. Uh, but 
I can belong to the church, but it will never belong to me. It doesn't belong to you either. It can never, this church can never belong to anybody here or any human being. It belongs to one and only one owner, and that is Jesus Christ. He owns a clear title to it. He doesn't owe any money on it. He bought and paid for it with a purchase price that is unspeakably high. In fact, it's outside of our imagination and ability to comprehend the price that he paid for this church. It was so high. He paid in part the price of his very own life's blood. He paid a, an awful, terrible price for the church. And it belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him and him only. And I think that sometimes, me included, we forget that. Maybe we forget it momentarily. Maybe we forget it when we come into the house of God on a Sunday for a worship service and uh, we don't worship. We forget why we're here. We forget that the Lord died on Calvary to buy us out of sin, to redeem us or purchase us away from this world's clutches and the sin that Satan was instrumental in uh, putting into this world. We do not belong to ourselves, and we don't have the right to call the shots in the living of our life. Think of the price that Jesus paid, my friend. Think about it for a moment. The terrible, awful pain that he endured. The, the, the cat of nine tails that was the whip that that burly, husky, tall, bulky Roman soldier used to literally strike our Lord on the back with and literally tear chunks of skin and flesh off of the bones of his body to where his internal organs were exposed. Think about his blood pooling in the dusty soil at the foot of that cross where they affixed him with not just nails, but huge, long, we would think of them as perhaps railroad spikes today in size. And think about what he endured, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically. The Bible says that God laid on his flesh, his body, the iniquity of us all. God, in the form of man, hanging on that cross, not only was bleeding and dying physically and suffering tremendous beyond what we could comprehend, but he was suffering on the inside as well because he felt the guilt and the shame of every sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed by a human being. He wasn't just feeling the sins of one individual as it would have been if we were hanging on that cross, but man... The Lord caused man to choose the most terrible, heinous, painful, torturous way that a, a, a human being has ever devised or come up with to kill another human being. It's called crucifixion. 
God chose that type of death for him to endure, not just to suffer physically, but to feel the shame and the guilt as though he himself had committed all the sin that you and I have ever committed, all the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future. He felt that convicting uh, shame on him in his heart that day when he hung on the cross. What a price Jesus paid to purchase us with. Aren't you thankful for that today? I'm not going to beg you, but I'm going to ask you to join me for us to take a moment right now to thank him for that. Thank you for taking my place, Jesus. Thank you for doing what it took for paying the price you had to pay to buy me out of sin and to bring me into your family. Oh, I praise you and I thank you today for paying that awful price. Lord, you loved me that much. You loved all of us that much to pay that price. Help me to love you back the way you're worthy of being loved. Hallelujah. Praise God. There, there are two revelations that I believe the Lord has shown me to impress upon you here today. Two things that I want, I want the light to come on and God to reveal these two things to you. Revelation number one, and this may come to uh, somebody, for somebody as a surprise here this afternoon. I've already said it. It's not my church and it's not your church. It's his church. His church. I was telling a group of folks yesterday, we were talking about uh, the church and, and the church overall and local church assemblies like this one, and, and we've all been a part of churches before, and, and I don't know about you, but God put in my heart as a pastor a desire for whatever church I'm in, whatever I'm doing in that church, for that church to grow. Because if a church is growing, it means it's doing the will of God, and the purpose for God dying on the cross is being fulfilled in that lost souls are being saved. And, and, and I want you to desire that with me. I want you to want it with me, to desire it as strong as you possibly can. But in the conversation yesterday, I admitted to someone, I can't grow this or any other church. In fact, I don't believe any pastor or human being can grow a church. I believe that a pastor and saints and people, leaders, everyone in a church must do their part in order for God to be able to grow the church. We've got to do our part. There are things that are a part of every growing, thriving, successful church. Prayer, fasting, witnessing, sowing the seed through teaching Sunday school and teaching Bible studies. Worship, giving, obeying God and giving of our finances. All of these things are found in a growing, thriving, successful church. But we can't, like baking a cake, Take a recipe, a spiritual recipe, and put these things together, one, two, three, four, that I've just named, and automatically the church grows. It doesn't work that way. There's so much more involved. Jesus said it like this. He said, uh, this is my church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. In fact, I believe that God is so jealous over what is his when you're talking about this church that he even goes so far as to call it his body. That's getting personal. Paul said, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. For no man ever yet hated his flesh, his own flesh. Rather, what do we do, men? We, we, we appease it. We do everything we can to satisfy our flesh. That's what Paul says. He said, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Paul in another place said, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Just what are you getting at, Pastor Edwards? The point is this, ladies and gentlemen. This is God's church, and God can do what he wants to do with his church. Why? Because he's God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. That means he's God and I'm not. Sovereign means he's God and you're not. It means he can do what he pretty well pleases with his church. And if we are going to see revival, if we are going to see God doing what he wants to do with and through and for and to this church, we are going to have to say with 100% understanding in our heart, God, I understand that this is your church. I understand you paid for this church. I understand, Jesus, you shed your blood for this church. And you and I can say amen to that here today, and that's easy to do. But until we back it up with actually living it, it's not going to mean a thing. Bought with a price. Bought with a price. Let me go to Revelation number 2. I believe God wants us to understand here today. He wants us to understand. You know what? Not only does this church not belong to you. You listening? You don't even belong to you. Just let that sink in for a minute. We start out walking with God. We're taught by godly leaders, pastors, teachers. Over time, we develop a spiritual walk with God, a certain relationship that in our life, we do things a certain way, right down to the smallest detail. And... We get into a routine that many times in, in some people's lives, we get stuck in that routine for the rest of our life. That's not the will of God. It's God's will not just for this church to grow, but it's God's will for you and I to grow as an individual Christian walking with God, growing deeper in our relationship with Him, understanding the Word of God more and more each day, each week, each month, drawing closer to Him in prayer each day, each week, each month. And you know what some people choose to do? They say, well, if I really can't do it the way I want to do it, 
then uh, if that's the way it has to be, then if I can't have control of my own life, then, Lord, I, I guess I've changed my mind. And they say, I, I want out of this deal. Just let me out of my part of this contract. And that's what some people do. Or they do this. What some people do when they realize that they're not their own, but they really want to be their own and do life their way in living for God in the church as a Christian, sometimes, uh, and this is the hardest thing of all, they try to have it both ways. Can't do it. You can't live for God your way when your way is in any way different from His way. It's as simple as that. And I fight, I fight that just like you all do. I'm preaching to myself as much or more as I am to anybody here today. Put up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Brother Augusto, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That means it restricts us. Paul said, I'm a, a bondservant. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. We are a prisoner of love. That's really the way you ought to look at it and think about it. It's not that God gives you the gift of the Holy Ghost and it's joy unspeakable, full of glory and peace and love and all the good things and the blessings and the benefits that God gives us when He saves us. I love all of that, but that's just half of it. The other half is I am bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to Him. I'm supposed to live my life the way He wants me to live it. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, but that He died for all. Now watch this. He died for everybody that they which live those who live for God in a relationship with God should not henceforth or from now on live for themselves unto themselves, but they should live unto or for Him that died for them and rose again. You and I can't live the way we want to live, folks. Not if we want to do this the right way. Not if we want all that God has for us. Not if we want to be used by God the way He wants to use us. Not if we are going to see this church grow and blossom and succeed and prosper spiritually and otherwise the way God longs to make it happen. We're not going to see that if we as a church or as individuals say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to live the way the Lord wants me to up to a point, and when there's a line that I just can't go over, then I'm going to believe the devil's lie that God understands and it'll be okay. Let somebody else take up the prayer ministry. Let somebody else come to prayer meeting every week. Let them do the work in the prayer room so souls will be saved. It's not going to happen that way, is it? Romans 14, verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth 
to himself. Verse 8, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Your time really doesn't belong to you. If you sign up for God's army, if you're going to be in God's family, your time doesn't belong to you. It's not your time. It's His time. And again, I'm preaching to myself, you need to spend your time, which is not your time, the way He wants you to. Your money is not your money. Your bank account really isn't your bank account. That money in your wallet or your purse or wherever it may be, it, it, you don't own that money. God does. God does. I have a question for you today, and I'm not going to hold you much longer. Uh, my question is this, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who's really in charge of your life? You or the master. I love the way the Lord set up this, this whole thing of He and us having a relationship together. I love it that sometimes I'm, you and I, we are His engaged bride-to-be. Isn't that neat? You ladies can really uh, understand that. You can really agree with that. Uh, and then uh, he's not just our bridegroom-to-be. He is our father. He's our heavenly father. He loves us like a father does. I love that, don't you? And let's keep going. He, he's our very best friend. The Bible says he loves like no brother in this earth can. Aren't you glad you can go to him and tell him everything? You can, you can go cry on his shoulder anytime, anywhere. It's not like that with your human best friend, if you've got one or ever had one. They're human, and so there are conditions on their friendship. Best friend. But see, here's the problem. When we don't include all of the aspects of our relationship with God, that he set this thing up with. There's one more I haven't named. And I just read it in the scripture, or I just said it. He is to be not just our best friend, not just our bridegroom uh, that we're engaged to, not just our heavenly father, but he is our Lord and master. Our master. We are his servant. Some translations of the word in the New Testament use the word slave. That's really how I'm supposed to look at my relationship with God. Along with the others, yes, you can't leave any of them out. So we need to take inventory if our musicians would come. That's, that's what I'm asking us to do as a church, and that really means for you and I to do it as individuals. Uh, let, let's just think about it before we go here this afternoon. If he's not the master in, in our relationship with him, then guess who is? 
but it can't be both. Amen. It can't be both. Put up Matthew 16, brother, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Somebody said one time, what am I supposed to do with my cross? Jesus said, follow him. What did he do with his cross? He went to a hill called Calvary and died on it. Now, he took our place dying physically, so we can't and we're not supposed to do that. But we do die on our cross. What does that mean? It means to completely surrender. I surrender all. Everything to him. Our hopes, our dreams, our plans, our ambitions, our likes, our dislikes, our loves, our hates. What we want out of life. How we want to spend our money. How we spend our time. It's all his. We give it all to him. That's taking up our cross and following Jesus. Verse 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Last verse I'll read. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As every head is bowed and every eye closed, I said we need to take inventory. I try to do it every day. I don't succeed, but this is church. We're here already to worship God and think about Him and work on our relationship with Him. If any place, if you can do that in any place, it ought to be at church, right? So, I'd like for you to join your pastor today before you leave in taking inventory, spiritual inventory, and ask the Lord some questions. Now, this is not new for most of us, but ask him questions like this before you leave today. Is there anything, Lord, that I need to change? Really, we ought to ask him that question every day. I try to. Lord, is there anything about my life over which I have control? In other words, I can make the choice. I can make the decision. God's given you the power to make hundreds of decisions every day. God, am I making those choices and those decisions in a way that you want me to? in a way that's pleasing to you, help me to do that, God. Help me to do that. Some of you here today, God's already been preparing you for listening to this, this word that he's brought to you today. And God's already put in your mind before this church service began some things that you need to work on. Some of you, he has done that while I've been preaching. He's put in your mind something that you need to take to him and say, God, I understand that I need to give this to you and ask you to help me work on this. 
I have asked God to convict every soul in this church, starting with me first, to convict us of whatever we need to be convicted of, to make us and this church exactly what he wants it to be so he can do with it what he wants to do with it because it's his church. We were bought with the price. Who paid that price? Was it you? Was it me? No. It was the lover of our soul. It was our heavenly father. It was our Lord and master. I, I know I make a big deal about coming to the front and praying at the altar. I know you can pray at your seat. You pray where you want to. In fact, I'll just put it this way, and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. This is really the way I think it is. You pray today during this altar time where you think God is, is deserving of you praying, where you think he's worthy of you spending some time with him in prayer before you leave. You find that spot in this room that you think he's worthy of, and would you have this conversation with the Lord with me today? This altar's open. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.